Hey, I'm sex, love, and relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman. And for the past 30 years, I've been helping people just like you learn to love and be loved better. Here on the Language of Love Conversations, I'm talking to some of the world's most influential and revolutionary experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, and celebrities about love, sex, and relationships from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. And that way, my goal is to awaken your mind, body, and soul. It's time to become fluent in the language of love. Brandy Sellers Jackson is a storyteller, birth and postpartum doula, and creator of Not So Private Parts, which was initially created as a women's lifestyle blog. Now it's evolved into a resource removing the shame and stigma surrounding all women's issues and cultivating vulnerability. And that's exactly what Brandy is doing in her new beautiful book on thriving, harnessing joy through life's great labors. You're going to love this conversation. We talk about trauma. We talk about infidelity. We talk about grief. We talk about the hard stuff, but more importantly, we talk about how to heal and Brandy knows firsthand how complicated that journey can be, but she's done a gorgeous job of really delineating a path to healing for all of us. So I am so excited to share with you Brandy Sellers Jackson. Brandy Sellers, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad this worked out. It's so great. <laughs> I know, especially after you had a horrible stomach bug. Oh my God. Back end. But oh it's so gosh. it was so cute and beautiful because I was talking to Brandy right before we kind of pressed record as we were catching up. And I said to her, you know, God, that, that must have been so hard with three kids, having your husband's out of town, having that horrible stomach virus run through your house. And she listed like five things that she was grateful for, you yeah. know, not that it happened, but things she could yeah. act with, you know, and it was just in that moment, you talk about resilience in all sorts of ways in your new book, a lot more than that. But I just thought it was really yeah. special to have this random in vivo moment where you were demoing. Yeah. Resilience. Well, it's like, it's important, I think, because it's so much that can feel heavy. Yeah. And so it's important. I mean, we have to feel those heavy moments. I mean, have to. And also it's like that moment of like, but I'm here, I'm here and everything's okay. And it could have been worse. Yeah. Like yeah. kids could have had it coming out of both ends and they're like ones in diapers, ones, you know, yeah. <laughs> ones yeah. on the boob, the other ones yeah. just weird. Like they were all older. So like I can think of, so many things to be grateful for in that moment. You know, it could have happened at another time. It's the perfect timing. So yeah, yeah. I got some great sleep too. Well, yeah, amen. And so many themes just in that recent illness you had that, that you talk about in the book around community, around resilience, around gratitude, around being in your body, around boundaries, all of that. But we're going to get into this. So Brandy, Brandy's a, you know, you're a birth and postpartum doula. Mm -hmm. You're a creator of not so private parts, which you describe as a source of all things vulnerability. And in the book on mm -hmm. thriving, you talk about thriving in and through grief in our relationships, grief with ourselves, with each other, navigating your mental health, being othered. What I thought was so beautiful, because I read a lot of books 
in mm. general. And certainly I always do read the book because I hate when people interview and don't actually read the book. It's all the time. <laughs> but I read a lot of books and a lot of self-help books, as you can imagine. And yeah. you know, most of them and almost all of them have all kinds of pearls in them. Even the not so great written ones are well enough written to get some pearls across. But yeah. I got to say, I did not know. And I know you claim storyteller as one of your titles, yeah. sort of, or one of your identities. I've spoken with you. We've done a live before yeah. I follow you. But I did not realize what a gorgeous storyteller mm. you are. I mean, it, was, it really was so... I mean, I know you're smart and I know you, know, you can get your <laughs> point across. Well, I mean, all of us are smart sometimes. sometimes. But I mean, but lots of people are smart, but mm. they don't necessarily tell a story in a way that is really vulnerable, authentic, mm. lyrical, captures the feeling, like really captures the mm. feeling of what and the energy of what you're trying to get across. So I just want to start there by shouting that, that it's a really Thank you. read. Thank you so much. And that means a lot hearing you say that. One, you know, I love you. You're amazing. And just an amazing human. And I've obviously have admired you forever. So the fact that you're saying that, I just feel like my heart just feels so happy hearing oh. you say that. But yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you, thank you. no, it was really beautiful. And you have these themes that flow through the book, obviously, as a doula, <laughs> all yeah. these themes that you kind of use as a metaphor, labor and birth, and also the natural world, in particular, the way that plants grow, which I loved. Now, mm -hmm. I got to say, I do have a bit of a black thumb, but I repeatedly, okay. I repeatedly grow things. I'm obsessed with growing things. And yeah. I use that metaphor all the time with myself and in my work this idea, and we're going to be talking about stuff, but all the things in the plant world of the mites that can get on them mm. and the billions and the germination and the sowing, yeah. you know, there's so many metaphors in that. And you use different, it was so cool how you would kind of talk, weave in these stories, not only about your own personal life and a lot yeah. of it vulnerable, but also about some of the plants that you've grown and the metaphor yeah. found there. So we're going to get into that, but yeah. let's start with this, this doula theme, right? Because you talk about these four different kinds of labors that we go through. And these are really the themes that you cover in the book, right? Mm -hmm. And I can yeah. list them, but I'm going to let you list them because you know them better than I do. <laughs> I have yeah. them in my notes, but I would just sit here yes. the whole time. <laughs> Like I'm doing a book report, but I want to hear what you say. Like, tell me more. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through these. I kind of centered these labors into the four things that we as humans, we all are going to go through. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, black, white, yellow, green, purple. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, gay, straight, man, woman, you're going to go through these. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find something that it connects us all to our core. And yeah. so the first labor is relationship because we're all navigating our relationship with ourselves first. So we start there and then our relationship with others mm -hmm. <laughs> and those around us, the, the pesky humans all around us. We have to navigate that. And then and also the pesky relationship with ourselves. 
And then there is the relationship with our mental health. We all have to figure that out. I think these past few years have been intense. Really intense. For all of us, it's been intense. And so navigating, you know, how do we proceed forward in a way that's healthy and not just like push through, but how can we proceed forward in a way that's healthy and, and sustainable? And then there is the labor of grief and loss. You know, we say death is the great uniter. Mm-hmm. None of us will escape that room. We are all going to ex- experience grief. Yeah. We're going to all experience loss in that way. And how do we navigate that? How do we hold it? Because it's really hard. It's so yeah, it hard. And you don't know until you're in the club. Yeah. Unfortunately. And then lastly, you know, the labor of feeling othered. You know, many of us have been in rooms where the only where we're the only blank, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see all these faces that don't look like us. And it feels like we are the only in this room. And a lot of us, when we're there, you know, we shrink or we become smaller or we resort to our survival, our survival tools, what I call survival tools. And so how do we thrive in spaces that feel like they weren't designed for us? How do we thrive there? Because we're here. What are we going to do? How yeah. do we thrive in that space? So. You know, I want to think of four spaces where we all find ourselves in, no matter where you come from. Yeah, you know, I mean, how do if we... you're a white, middle-class, American, yeah. Christian, yeah. you've had the experience of being othered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not to the same degree that other people do, but, yeah. but yeah. everybody, I think that's a really beautiful... Everyone's going everyone's gonna to feel it. You are really vulnerable and honest and open about some of the traumas you've lived through. As a model, you weren't just sharing it as a memoir, although there is a memoir tone to your sharing. But, you know, you're also using those stories are all serving a purpose of demonstrating a point you're making or a path to healing. And one of the themes that I just so embrace is this idea of that the genesis of our wounds really does tend to lie. And not that we can't have trauma later in life because we can. Of course. But, But it lies in our childhood. And our our relationship with ourselves and with others are rooted in those first relationships with our key caretakers. And like me, you know, I've had a lot of my own trauma that I talk about. You talk about some trauma you experienced and the outgrowth that it took you until much later in your adult life when there was a catalyst we'll get to in a moment to finally excavating that yeah, and discovering that. And it led to this whole path of doing that inner child work, reparenting yourself, creating Mm self-intimacy. So I want to just unpack this a little bit, especially for my peeps here, because we talk so much here. I mean, this is a show about sex, love, and all relationships. We talk so much here about relationship trauma and sexual trauma, and you have experienced Yeah. And you share really heart-wrenchingly and beautifully the experience of being molested by, I believe it was your stepfather's brother, your stepfather's uncle, uncle, sorry. So your new uncle, you called him. So Mm -hmm. your stepfather's uncle and not only the trauma of that, but also Mm -hmm. the compounded trauma, which I think is so important to talk about of the way your family dealt with it or didn't deal with it is a better way to say it. So I'm wondering yeah. if you can share a little bit about that and that and how that, you know, the outgrowth of that so that we can really kind of highlight this. Cause I know that 
you know, they say that 30% of us have been sexually molested. Absolutely. That's a crock of poop. It's much more than that. It's just absolutely most of us don't talk about it, aren't asked mm-hmm. about it, or yeah. have repressed it, or are too filled with shame, unnecessary mm-hmm. shame to even admit it to ourselves, much less, or maybe haven't recovered. I didn't recover until I was in my late 40s, some of the abuse. Yep. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I was 12 years old, 12. Yeah, I was 12 years old. And my parents, they, you know, were at that time, my mom had just remarried my stepfather, who, you know, I refer to as my dad. You know, in the book, I say my stepdad because, you know, I want to be very clear on who is who. My stepdad and I, you know, good relationship. Me and my biological dad, not so good. So I wanted to be very, like, clear on dad, stepdad, you know. Yeah, because he was abusive. He was abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Biological dad. Yep. Exactly. So I had to be very clear in the book with that. But with my stepdad, my mom had just remarried him, had just remarried my stepdad. It felt like her life back. You know, she had been with this man, my biological father, since high school. She ran away with him when she was like 17, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, now that I have a 17 year old, I'm like, what? Wait, what? Like across <laughs> state, across state lines, like wow. from Alabama to Connecticut. Like, and, that's, and she was probably doing that to escape some stuff. Yes. yes. Yeah. Like what in the world were you? What, what was happening? You know, um, and my mom tells it, you know, her and my you know, grandparents, they had just finished painting her room and like doing all these things. And my grandmother comes home and literally finds her closet empty. Wow. Like, I can't even imagine that closet drawers empty. And she had hopped on a bus all the way to Bristol, Connecticut from Sylacauga, Alabama. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, she had been with this man forever. And so when she remarried my stepfather, I think she was looking for this new life, you know, and, you know, she felt safe. Finally, she saw that her children, me and my sister, we felt safe. And so they went, you know, went out and they left us with this new uncle and he seemed nice. He seemed nice enough. And I, you know, looking back now, I was looking for safety. I wanted safety from adults because up until that point, adults had shown me that they can be violent. They can be, it's a lot. They're unpredictable. Yeah. Unpredictable. Sure. Yeah. And long story short, while they were out, he ended up molesting me while I was asleep. And, you know, I had the wherewithal afterward, you know, to, it was weird because I remember sleeping, you know, I was on a pallet on the floor and I was next to my sister and there was this rotary phone, you know, and for the for the young people, that's called a <laughs> it's not a cell phone. It's a phone that you have to dial around in a circle. I remember those, you know, you know, those things, in the old days. Yeah. So you had to rotary use the rotary phone and it made noise. So you were sneaking yes. after he attempted this and yes. you, you escaped. You, and yes. Meanwhile, that was a nightmare I used to have when I was a little girl that yes. it was an emergency and I needed to call my parents and I had to keep redoing the doc. Oh, my God. Because I kept yeah. messing it up and it makes a noise. Yes. It yes. The dials. So that must have been so scary. It was so scary. Dialing, trying to reach her parents. Oh, my God. Sneaking while so that he doesn't hear. Yes. And he was in the other room and he promised me, he's like, promise me you won't tell. And I was like, no, I won't tell. And sure enough, as soon as he left, I immediately like heard him God on the phone, called my parents 
And I was like, come pick me up. And I whispered it. And I remember hoping that they would pick up because I didn't know what time. I mean, it was like midnight. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was, you know, they weren't going to answer the phone. But now that I'm a parent, of course, they're going to answer the phone because their kids are sleeping somewhere else. Makes sense. Yeah. They immediately came, picked me up. I saw the flashing light outside the door, you know, as it pulled in. It couldn't have been more than like five to 10 minutes, but it seemed like forever. Yeah. And as soon as I saw it, I ran out the the door. I ran, just ran. And they were cool about that. They supported you. They were, you know, they took you away. They didn't question you. No. They did let this man stay more or less in the family's life. I'm sure they didn't leave you alone with him again, but nothing else was said to him. Nothing else. I mean, my dad went in and said something, but I never heard about it again. Yeah. And nothing was done. He lived his life. I ended up running into him. He came to our house one time. And I don't remember why. I don't know why. But I remember my mother shuffling me quickly to the door so I wouldn't see. And I remember in that moment seeing him in my home. Mm-hmm. It's my home. Yeah. And, what, and so what was the message, right, that little right. Brandy got from that? I don't matter. Yeah. That's what it said to me. It's this man did something to me and he's in my home on my sofa. With my parents. With my, right. Talking. I don't even know what he's talking. He's in my home. Yeah. And it told me, it relayed the message that you don't matter. Your safety doesn't matter. And you feeling safety doesn't matter. And I had to carry that for quite a long time, quite a long time after that. I think that's so important because it's not just sometimes the trauma and, you know, Gabor Mate talks about this too. Yes. The trauma itself, often the traumatic event itself is really less wounding than the aftermath of the trauma, how handled, how you integrated it, what you made out of it in your own mind, especially as a child, right? Yes don't see things fully, you know, and that mm-hmm. is such a typical, you know, understandable reaction for a child. What else would you think? Right. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to think my parents are wounded themselves and don't no. for themselves <laughs> or set boundaries. And this has nothing to do with me. You know, you no, I don't freaking matter. Yeah. It's very, it's at its very elementary level. Yeah, it's like that's what comes back. You don't matter. And what's so powerful and what you really kind of demonstrate through the telling of the story and the whole evolution of your life. And there are lots of different ways you you demonstrate this is that for all of us, this is true that very often, not only do we not really make sense of what happened to us, Mm -hmm. but we sometimes can't really fully. Well, I think almost always for every Mm -hmm. single one of us back to how we relate to ourselves in the world is based on those early relationships. At some point, I don't care how great your parents are, pretty Mm. much every single one of us, and most of us didn't have, we had parents who were good enough, (laughs) did the best they could. Exactly. And the wounds they had. The key to healing, and this was a path that you didn't do right away and not until many years later and and due Mm -hmm. to another catalyst that we'll get to in a second when, when you entered therapy, but that was the beginning of what you describe as really beginning to do, to build self-intimacy. And I love that concept of self-intimacy. And that began by identifying some of these survival tools that you 
kicked into mm-hmm. gear with your little child's mind that had never been challenged. Yeah. Doing that inner child work mm. and reparenting yourself. So I wanted to ask what your definition of self-intimacy is. And if you could unpack mm-hmm. some of that, this idea of re I mean, I know you get into great detail on how to do this and what it means in the book. We don't, you know, we'll, but just in a general sense. Yeah. Yeah. I would s- define it in the most simplest way by saying, you know, it's it's like a knowing and it's a curiosity mm-hmm. and it's a continual curiosity. It's digging below the surface, asking why. I just responded that way because, you know, whatever. No, but why did you respond that way? And where did that come from? And what's underneath that? And can you lift up that over there? Like, it's constant, like this inquisitiveness around the why. And so, then it's continual work. <laughs> well, I always say intimacy is into me see. Yes. Yes. So that, that's what it is. The is into yourself seeing, being willing to lift yeah. those rocks and boulders of yeah. and fear and anxiety and quick reactions that don't serve and starting to question them. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's this beautiful image you described of one of your self-parenting, you know, because there's this idea that we talk about and you talk about so beautifully, and I fully believe in and support as a clinician is this idea that all of us, I mean, I'm ha- I've had to do this and continue to do this myself, have to yeah. reparent ourselves, right? Almost yeah. all of us got to reparent ourselves. All of us, whether you've had good or bad childhood yeah. or parts, bad, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You've there are to. parts of us that we have to reclaim and reparent where mm-hmm. I have these conversations with my 27 year old son. And I think yeah. I couldn't have been a more devoted and committed. <laughs> yeah. But I also, as I've told him since he was little, listen, I'm doing the best I can. I'm growing up with you. I know I'm fucking up. <laughs> I'll pay for your therapy one day. Like I'm, I got I'm you. Trying. It's all coming from love. I'm trying my best. Right. But I, but at least I, so now at at age 27, as he's doing his own Mm self-discovery, self, the self-parenting, which I'm so proud of him for doing, Mm. he comes to me with like, you know, and I committed to holding that. Like there's a little one in me that, you know, wants to be like, well, it really was you were really afraid of the app, you know, but I don't because I know that it's important for his healing that that I honor. And it doesn't matter what the truth is. I mean, who's to say what the truth is? We're both working from memory, but it doesn't matter what the truth is. What matters is how you experienced it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I love the example you give. Uh, There's this image you talk about uh, around self-parenting, a self-parenting practice where you grab your own hand mm-hmm. and envision it as the hand of your younger self. It gave me chills when I read it. Will you describe that? Yeah. I mean, it's something that I, I do <laughs> because I believe like whenever I like touch myself, it's like one of those things. And I write about this. It reminds us where we are, mm-hmm. but also like it puts us back in our body because our memories and what we're feeling can have us floating everywhere. Like, you know, you have that trigger and then you're right back to the time you were seven years old and you're over here and you're out of, you know, you don't know what to do. Right. And so what I learned that's really helped me to navigate those times is to hold my own hand and close my, 
right? Literally hold my own hand and close my eyes and envision it being the hand of my younger self. You know, and when you do that, it it does two things. You know, it it makes you it calms the the little person inside of you. <laughs> Stop and drive in the bus. Who's all? Oh, they are pedal to the metal. <laughs> they are like going to Vegas <laughs> with no driver's license. And, you know, it, it calms that person down to remind them like, hey, you're safe. You're safe. Yeah. I know it feels like you're it's happening again, but it's not whatever it is. And then it also reminds you that you are in the driver's seat. Yeah. As and the that adult you are now. As the adult you are now, that the person you need to move little brandy, let's put her in her in the in the passenger seat and strap her in. She can come along for the ride. That's fine. Or put her in the back seat because that's way safer for children. Not in the front seat. She doesn't need to be no. navigating. No. <laughs> put her in the back seat with some coloring books. She's good. But you're the adult here. You are the adult in the room and that you're safe. And so for me, just doing that, and sometimes I even hug myself. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, envision one hugging little Brandy. And oh. then I envision hugging adult Brandy. Okay, yeah. you're good. You're safe. Everyone's good. I know it sounds crazy and like WWF out in your living room because you have children, but <laughs> no one is in danger. Yeah, No one's in danger. Yeah, the saber tooth tiger is not at the door. You know, one of the things yeah. I'll share with you, one of the things I do, although I'm now going to hold my own hand, I had never done yeah. that before. But I sometimes, when I am aware that I'm not the one driving the bus and I've just had a reaction <laughs> or I'm in the middle of a reaction that I know, you know, uh-huh. yeah. is, is little me's reaction. Yeah. I go to the mirror. Mm. I stare deeply into my own eyes, which by the way, most of us rarely do. We just look in the mirror Never. and how effed we look or at our cellulite <laughs> or whether we got lipstick yeah. on our teeth or whatever, but we don't yeah. really look. And so I ourselves. stare deep into my eyes until I see her. Mm. And at some point she's there. You know, I'm sort of mm-hmm. like, come on, I want to talk to you. And I just stare into my eyes until I see the little one's eyes looking back at me. And then mm. I tell her, I was like, listen, you don't have to worry about this. This has nothing to do with, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, I explain it like I would to a child. Yes, that's good. And and then I tell her how much I love her and how everything's going to be okay. And I got this. You can trust me. I know you couldn't trust me before because I didn't know about this and wasn't willing to face it, but you can trust me now Let anyone hurt us, you know, and Mm -hmm. it really helps. It really helps. That's really good. My little tip. I'll hold my hand and you look in the mirror. And I'm going to write that one down. How about that? (laughs) I'm going to use that one next time. (laughs) Yeah, it really it really helps. Hey, it's Dr. Laura Berman. I've been a sex, love and relationship therapist for over 30 years. And the main question I always get asked is how the heck do we spice it up in a long term monogamous relationship? Well, if you want to take your love life, your sex life to the next level, whether you're in a relationship or not, check out my free course on quantum sex. It's going to teach you how to take your sexual response to the next level capable of full body orgasms, how to use sex magic to manifest your dreams, and how to connect on an even deeper level sexually with your partner. Just go to DrLauraBerman.com and you'll find it right there on the homepage, the quantum sex free course. Check it out. Let me know what you think.
So you talk about how, you know, you really white knuckled it like most yeah. of us do for most of your life, having yeah. three kids, having a career. We yep. can be extremely high. Fun- most of us are extremely high functioning, but absolutely inside ourselves. We are emotionally mm-hmm. white knuckling it. We're living with anxiety or we're living with mm-hmm. depression or we're living with reactivity or bursts of anger, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until you went through a major crisis mm-hmm. in your marriage yeah. where there was a big betrayal and you discovered your husband who you've been with since, was it high school or college? You've been with college, college. college. Yeah. So you've been with him forever and had been, and what I also loved, what I want you to talk about too, is because this is true for all of us mm-hmm. is that eventually through your own healing, you both realized like we all do. I mean, this is the truth for all yes. of us. We choose partners usually from our wounded parts. Yes, <laughs> we do. Parts. But once you discovered he was cheating, mm-hmm. devastating beyond belief, mm-hmm. relationship in crisis, you're in crisis, both mm-hmm. of you get into therapy individually and as a couple. And mm-hmm. that's where the mm-hmm. excavation, the reparenting, the self-intimacy that you built began. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about any of that, but especially the part around because you put it so beautifully, how you realized what you were looking for and what attracted to you, each of you to the other was really coming from that wounded child's needs. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's funny because I remember our therapist using the term, she said, imago theory. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. And it's basically where what you didn't receive as a child, you will look for. Mm-hmm. you will continue to look for. It. And what I thought of too, you know, I think that's also connected to our survival. You know, we are always going to get our needs met. Oh yeah. Some kind of way, right? And that's exactly what happened with us. You know, I was looking for someone to keep me safe and to protect me and keep me safe and keep me safe and keep me safe, you know? And he was looking for someone to see him and to manage him and to, you know, and it's like, it was like the perfect. Because <laughs> you were a perfectionist. I, yes. I don't oh. know if you're a Virgo, but you were very Virgo. I'm a Leo. Okay. So you, you're I'm a Leo. very Virgo, like very organized, very perfectionistic on top of all the details. Yeah. And he was attracted to that. Yeah. And you were attracted to the, when you say keeping you safe, was it physically safe or emotionally safe or both? I think it was, I don't even think I was thinking emotionally. I was thinking more physically. So like I was thinking someone who wasn't hot-headed, someone who didn't have a temper, all the things that my biological father was. Yeah. So that's what I was looking for. And he checked all the boxes because if you ever meet my husband, John, like he's super chill and super like Relax. That's who he is. Right? Unreactive. He doesn't fly right. out the handle. So that was safe. Yeah, that makes a lot right. of sense. Makes total sense. And now, you know, of course, you know, as we've both done work, a lot of that came from, you know, his, it was actually numbness for yeah. him, you know, just well, no. like peace was numbness. It was total <laughs> numbness. Like I don't feel anything because of his own traumas. Yeah. You know, so what I thought was peace was actually just trauma. And then what he thought was, you know, perfection and managing was also trauma. And it's funny because he's the Virgo. And yeah, yeah. It, it's hilarious. 
And we meshed, our wounds meshed. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, very well. I always think about uh, that musical Rent. One of mm-hmm. my- yes. And yeah. there, there's a song, one of my favorite lines. It says, I'm looking for someone whose baggage goes with mine. Oh, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's usually how it happens, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, my sure. gosh, it's just love. And it's like, is it love or is it trauma? We don't know. Like wound matching. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's funny because I write in the book, too. You know, I after doing the work, I realized why I felt so safe with him. Mm-hmm. I realized why I felt at home with him because underneath what felt like peace, there was this thing underneath that felt very common and I, that I was familiar with, yes. which was like, there was trauma there. There was unpredictability there. Yeah. You, you know, consciously know it. I always say we smell it on them. We smell, yes. we smell our, we're attracted to people, not only to try to heal our wounds, but because they're going to trigger our worst wounds too, right? Yes. One of my traumas was that my dad was a huge philanderer Mm -hmm. and always put me smack dab in the middle of it. I was my parents' sex therapist and couples therapist from the time I was 10. Wow. So I ended up with my first ex-husband, you know, not my Mm -hmm. final and last husband of 21 years now, but with my first husband, I chose him thinking, mm-hmm. like not even aware that I yeah. had this story in my little wounded heart that if I can get you who I already smell is a philanderer and he was, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but if you leave your philander, if, that I wasn't aware I was thinking this, but I can convince him to leave his philandering ways. And then I can, mm. and I can, I can make it right. I couldn't make my dad stop as much as I, wow. but I can make him stop. Like, of course I didn't make him stop. Of course not. That's not how that works. (laughs) No, but we do tend to choose people from our wounds, both the wounds that we're trying to protect ourselves that we're aware of and Mm -hmm. the wounds we are not even facing yet. Yeah. That's one of the trickiest wickets and the coolest parts about relationships is because for all of us, and I can't ever say this enough, when you're having a relationship with someone else, you're actually, what you're really doing is having a relationship with yourself through that other person. Like relationships are- That part. The best healing playground there is. And what I think is so beautiful about your story, and this is kind of a model, I think, for all of us, Mm -hmm. and you lay it out in a lot more detail in the book, is that as you both did your own healing work apart and together, Mm -hmm. you were able to re-navigate and recalibrate and renegotiate your relationship and the way you related to one another and your dynamics on new healed terms. And listen, yeah. I've been doing this for 30 years and I try, you know, that's my work to help couples do that. Right. Couples can do that. Like one of them can do it, but the other can't or a lot of work. Yeah. You both have to. And so I thought that was such a beautiful part of the story. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about like how, what that journey was to, change the terms once you guys have been doing a lot of your own individual work? What did that look like? Yeah. So it looked like, you know, first, I think when it happened, well, I know when it happened, I didn't want to make any decisions. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to make any decisions from the place that I was in, which was hurt, angry, all of those things that you would imagine one would be in. I didn't want to make any rash decisions. And so I didn't. Yeah. I just took it day by day. And 
I went on my therapy journey. He went on his therapy journey separate. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be until a while later that we did, we started couples therapy. Mm -hmm. Just because, and it was mostly just to even see how we could co-parent or how we could even exist together. If we could even, like, it was more so that. It wasn't to save the marriage. I think for us, that wasn't even the focus was yeah. saving marriage. The, the, really, the focus was saving ourselves. Yeah, beautiful. Because, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, there was no way. And so as we went on these two journeys, you know, I started seeing things that where these wounds were coming from, from myself and what I was, the lens from which I was looking at John through, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't from adult Brandy. It was from child Brandy. Mm-hmm. And then he began to see how he was looking at me. It was this, you know, and it's so funny because he made me his mother. You know, we talk about this, you know, yeah. and no one wants to feel like that, by the way. No one wants to be. That ain't any, sexy. <laughs> sexy. No one wants to be anyone's parent in a relationship, you know, but that's what he was looking for is someone to parent him in that way. And I never signed up for that, nor was that ever my, like, you know. Yeah, I was jammed. Was that my jam? I was like, wait, what? Wait, when am I in this role? (laughs) Who signed up for this? And he began to see that and how unfair that was and where that was coming from. And as we began to see each other for the first time and how many years we had been together since college, we were able to actually see each other as humans. And as people, and as two people that had their own journeys. And so, you know, what it looked like moving forward was really a day at a time, a lot of individual work, a lot of together work, and just a lot of patience. I think for him, in regards to me, you know, he knew that it wasn't going to be this thing of like, okay, now we're cool. It's continual. If there are triggers, hey, we're going to sit here. And let me know. <laughs> yeah, and you, all, you also yeah. had parameters. He had to stop touring. Yep. To move to a place. Like you started to really yeah. get clear through the therapy, I'm sure, and the healing. Yeah. Um, what you really wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those things, you know, for me, I, I remember because they were like, well, what is it that you want? You know, in our little this is before we even got into couples therapy. We had a dear friend who's a mentor and also in, you know, has a practice. And she would ask, she's like, Brandy, what is it that you want? What do you need to feel safe? And because she knew, like, that's also the lens I was coming from was little girl Brandy was needing to feel safe. And I didn't feel safe in any of this. Yeah, of so what is it that you need to feel safe? And so I just started naming things. I was like, I need him to go off tour. I need him to <laughs> switch cell phones. I need him to stay away from me. I need him to like, don't look at me like that. Why is he breathing? I need him. To, like, <laughs> I need every conversation to start with. I'm sorry. I need like, it was like a list of things. You should crawl and- around on the floor. Although <laughs> I- now I'm thinking that I remember doing. Yeah doing a live. I don't know if we were doing a live or we were just zooming with each other, but I remember him coming in and bringing <laughs> this beautiful Yes. Was that him eating crow back then? Probably. <laughs> if it was during the pandemic, yes, it was. Because <laughs> it this started at the very 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 top of the pandemic. Yeah. Actually, it was. actually it was before the pandemic. 
So yeah. it was before 20. It was really before like the 2020 pandemic. We joke in our household that the pandemic happened before the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, this, this was maybe like six to nine months after your baby was born. Ooh. I think it, like he was still really little. Let me think then. I mean, this was it might if it were during the pandemic. Yeah, it might have been right before or during right before if it were during that time. And yes, yeah. yes, that was him bringing me food because <laughs> he was like, this is I love you here. Like, yeah, here, feel, here, this is safety. <laughs> and I remember thinking, because I was like, oh, my God, that's a gorgeous breakfast. And you were like, yeah. I was like, that was safety on a plate. That's what that was. was Safety on a plate. That's so cute. That toast was safety on a plate. That's what that was. You know, it's we had all these things where I just and I had to get used to saying what I needed to feel safe. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the only one that can make me feel safe at the end of the day. That was the other thing I wanted to be very clear on is like at the end of the day, like I am my safety. I am my first home, you know, but. Also, I had to be very, I didn't realize how much I struggled with saying what I needed. Yeah. Well, when were you ever allowed to growing up? That part. I had no idea until it actually was asked. Yeah. What is it that you need? What do you need? I can't tell you how often I ask clients that when they first start with me and, or even just in conversation, Mm because I'm in small talk and inevitably even... (laughs) cocktail parties. I'm diving into people's souls with them. Yeah. Revealing my probably more (laughs) same, same. But if I say, well, so what do you want? Or even if we're in the middle of a session and one of them's like having a reaction. So what do you want right now? Mm -hmm. We have no idea what we want because Mm -hmm. we were never allowed to want there or there was no point in wanting or wanting a burden or wanting led to abuse or what, you know? Yeah. so you learn not to ever have a need in order to fit yourself into the press. Never to ask, never to answer that. Yeah. 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 Never, yeah never, never even ask yourself. So I think oh. that's so beautiful. So how are things now? Obviously, oh, yeah. all relationships are works in progress. We're always evolving. Yeah. But, but how are things between the two of you now? Yeah, we're good. You know, it's, it is, I think it's one of those things It's going to be a process, mm-hmm. but we are so good. Like to the point where it's kind of like we're obviously like this, right? But we've done so much work where we're able to govern our own like, (laughs) you know, for me, when I feel triggered or when I feel like, you know, because for right now, he's back on the road. You know, he took some time away and he's back on the road. And there was a time, I remember the first time he went back feeling very like, all right, triggered. And like, and now it's like, eh. He's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is okay. And knowing too where my own stuff is coming from. Yeah. Like, is everything safe? Yeah. But I also think what I try to say to couples, because I work a lot with couples around, you know, what I call repairing after an affair, is that there comes a point when you've done the healing and you've done calibration and it's been a long time. And now you're, you know, in this metaphorically or literally in your case, he's going back on the road. Of course, there's going to be fear because. He is shown, even though he's a very different person now. Absolutely. We yeah. know what he's capable of, right? We know yeah. he's capable of duplicity, right? We know right. why. But at some point, you got to mm-hmm. take that leap of faith. And I think the key, and I'm curious what you think about this. I think one of the keys, in addition to really feeling confident in their self-awareness and their intention, yeah. is knowing that if it did happen again, mm-hmm. 
you would be okay. I mean, well, that's really what it comes down to. Really. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It's like you've survived your worst days. And that yeah. was pretty bad. I I think about January of 2020. And I would have said, oh my gosh, that was the worst, right? Really dark, really dark moments. However, I'm here. And yeah. I've had some of the most amazing things happen in my life after that. And I'm still here. And I'm thriving. So if... <laughs> If, if that was okay, then I'd be okay. Yeah. You know, me micromanaging what this person's doing, what my kids are doing, what this friend over here, what John, like, no what my dog is doing. I, uh, yeah. Who has time for that? Who has time for that? Yeah. You know, all I have to know is that I'm going to be okay either way. Everyone is going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And that's the main thing. You know, I call yeah. these things that happen, AFGEs, another freaking growth experience because they break yeah. you, they break you open, Ooh. all of that. But when the worst thing happens, mm-hmm. you know, and it could be being cheated on, could mm-hmm. be someone you love dying, you know, it could be like yeah. you've been through something so horrific that yeah. it, it makes you feel less scared in a weird way. Yeah. You know, you can survive it. So like, you know, I don't want it to happen, but I'm a lot less guarded and garnering for the worst. Like I'm okay. Whatever, you know, throw yeah. it at me. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, you know, I think of some of the hardest moments. My mom passed. I didn't think I would make it. I'm okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. Cause you know? it's a plant metaphor here that I was mm. laughing about and love it. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm like a 12-year-old boy inside. And if you talk about uh-huh. you have me, you have yeah. me. <laughs> My husband says, if you ever want to make me laugh, just talk about poop. It's something poop left. Poop is funny. It is funny. I but get you, it. You talk about this process of a seed growing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it has to go through, I forget what the, endo. Endozookery, I think. That's the word, how to pronounce it. But endozookery. Yeah, basically the, out, the hard shell has to kind of be scarified and, mm-hmm. and cracked a little bit so that the germination can begin. And part of nature's way of doing that is by animals eating the seed mm-hmm. and then it goes through the digestive tract, yep. it gets a little beaten up, and yep. then it comes out in a pile of fertilizing poop. Yep. Just right? poop. Yep. Yeah. And then, <laughs> the, and then it remains in the shit. And you were discussing this in the context of exactly <laughs> what you said, the grief process, right? Yeah. The yeah. metamorphosis that grief is. Yeah. It is that scarification, poopifying, mm-hmm. being in the shit. So something yeah. new can burst forth. So talk about that for a minute beyond my the poop, <laughs> the poops analysis I just gave or the poop summary. Well, first off, you described it perfectly. And I enjoyed writing that part because it also made me laugh when I, the more I researched about it, you know, I talked to a dear friend, Dr. Tanisha Williams, who is a a botanist, you know, because I I wanted to research, you know, and I was telling her how I was learning about this like scarification process of the seed and all that. And she was saying how seeds are like these, like, it's like a baby with a backpack. Yeah, it has everything it needs to, you know, to survive. But it goes through this process of like getting gobbled up, which I'm like, yeah, that's grief. 
And then it goes through the digestive system, like you said, and then it gets shitted out and it's mm-hmm. just right there and it just stays there. And what I what I learned from that, you know, when dealing with the grief of my mother or the grief of what I thought was my marriage or any of those things, grief of miscarriage, is that a lot of us want to get out of the shit because yeah. who wants to sit in shit? Nobody wants to. I mean, unless you're into that kind of thing, but that's a minority of people. Most <laughs> of us do not want to sit in the shit. Nobody wants to sit in that. It doesn't smell good. It probably doesn't feel good. Ew, you know, no one wants it. But imagine, you know, if the seed just got up and was like, I'm done with this and just walked off, yeah. it would probably get gobbled up and never get shat out again. And then that was the end of it. And it wouldn't be fertilized or nurtured or. Yeah. Get the nutrients that it really needs to turn into something new. Exactly. So grief is a portal, right? It is a portal. It is. Animal fast, but it's a portal. Yeah. (laughs) It literally is, you know? And so like sitting in that is as uncomfortable as it is, it is a part of our growth and it is a part of our nutrients. So it sucks, (laughs) but... It's where we find our thriving. It's where we find our beginning, I believe. And we just have to be patient in the shit. We just got to sit there and get a book, maybe, you know, read while you're... (laughs) Get support and surrender. In my life, you know, I have my whole career has been about Mm -hmm. sex and love and a lot about sex, which I love talking about. Yeah. Now there's been this whole new direction that my heart is being pulled around healing from loss and grief, Mm. all of, you know, that I've been going through over the past three years. And I said to a girlfriend at one point, God, like if I were to give a Ted talk, how the hell do I bring together, Mm -hmm. you know, sex and death? Like, obviously they're both part of the cycle of life, but like, shit, like, how do I pull these things? How do I do this? And all of a sudden the other day I woke up in the middle of the night and here's my seed. Okay, we'll germinate it and let it grow. But my seed, yeah. there are tons of parallels mm-hmm. between grief and orgasm. Mm. And this is what you just reminded me of. Like, you have to be willing to be in your body and feel it all. Yeah. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. You mm-hmm. have to be willing to give up control and surrender. You have yeah. to be willing to ask for what you need and receive it. You know, you have to be willing to receive. And often it takes a tremendous loss to be willing to do that. You know, those are just the first four that occurred to me. But if I keep thinking. That's good. Right. Like I think there orgasm, like what orgasm and death have in common. I don't know. But that's really good. (laughs) That's That's good. (laughs) (laughs) But but it reminds me of what you're talking about. Right. And you talk a lot about this idea of living softly, which is so beautiful and rest mm-hmm. and being gentle with yourself and learning to really claim the love that you deserve for yourself and mm-hmm. building community. And we don't have a ton of time left, but I want to definitely get to that. There's so many things I still want to get to, but yeah, yeah, we could talk about each of these for an entire podcast, but you guys yeah. will read the book. But there are, when you talk about community, which I am so big on, and we need more than ever in this crazy disconnected Mm -hmm. world that we need five. I love these five kinds of people around us. Yeah. 
we're birthing our dreams, like whatever we're birthing, it doesn't have to be a human being. We're always birthing something, right? So if you want to even your own transformation or your own healing or a new project or a new life or whatever it is, we're always Mm -hmm. birthing something, whether we realize it or not. So what are the five kinds of people? So I said one, I'm going to make sure I remember all of these. You want me to prompt you? One is the teacher. Yes. Okay. So the teacher, the teacher is the person that knows more than you. Yeah. They are the person that has been there before. They know how this could end up. You know, they are the person that if you have questions, you go to them. You know, you don't have to figure out this all on your own. So they are the person. Resource there, right? Yep. And then mm-hmm. there's the accountant, which is not the crunching yep. numbers, but the kind that will hold you accountable. Yep. They are the ones that hold you accountable. They're going to hold you to it. You want someone who you trust to do this because they are the ones that are going to like give you like, okay, I'm not, you said you're going to do the thing on Tuesday. Let's see it. You're going to do the thing on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the hole puncher. These yes. annoy me. My husband's a hole puncher. <laughs> But I do appreciate it because his whole, yeah, his, his holes often were really important that he punched, even though I wish I didn't have to deal yep. with that. Yeah. So, so tell about the hole puncher. The hole puncher is the person that punches the holes. They are the person that says, well, okay, I see that. But what if, what about this? And are you sure that's going to work out? Why don't you try this? And that also is someone you need to, you know, have someone you trust because that person is the person that offers those critiques. Yeah, so, and they have to be someone who you trust and who you know has your best interest at heart and is exactly. on exactly. Yeah. They're not just punching holes just for the fun yeah. for funsies. Yeah, these <laughs> aren't those aren't the hole punchers, guys, the jerks that are always naysaying everything you're no. doing. No. This is someone who wants you to succeed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the nurturer. Yes. They are the person that I like to call them the light, like they're your doula, your personal doula. So they are the people that, you know, they'll, you know, they'll comfort you. They'll ask you what you need. How's it going? They may not even ask you, how's it going? But what do you need? They're the person that's going to really nurture you and hold you during that time. And then the healthy distractor. Those are really important too. Yes, they are. They are the best. So, well, they're not the best, but they are, to me, I feel like the best. They're the people that, you know, they're not going to mention it. They have like this sworn oath. They're not going to mention what you're doing. Hey, you want to go for a walk? Well, look at this cute little meme of a puppy. They are the people that give you the healthy distractions that you need to take a break from what you're doing. And, and so these you aren't rest. the people who are trying to distract you from your dreams, but no. who are who are pulling you away from 10 hours on the computer. Yep. Yep. Or to shift perspectives or to shake yourself off a little bit mm-hmm. um, or offer some levity or some fun. I love I that. Think- yeah. And I think too, these people need to be very, uh, what's the word I want to use in tune to yeah. you yeah. because they need to know when you're almost at capacity yeah. and they're the people like, Hey, so let's go for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. need to be those people that just are very in tune in that way. The healthy distractors. So, and, so and you talk in the book about building community. And I do really believe, I mean, I've talked about this a lot. I've, I've always, I'm actually, people don't, realize this, but I actually have, I come from a history of extreme social anxiety. I was really bullied and othered when I was a kid. It took me probably into my thirties to start having confidence where I can walk into a party and like have, and now I don't even really think about it, but I still am kind of an extroverted introvert. Yeah, And I've always had friends 
But in my, before I recovered from, you know, I'm in recovery for, from codependency for probably 15 years now. But before that, mm-hmm. I, all my friends were primarily a collection of broken little birds or drama, trauma, because Ooh, yeah. without realizing yeah. I was doing accidentally and unconsciously was what I had done my whole life. If you need me, you won't leave me. Right. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. I'm saving you, therapizing you, helping you get your shit together, being the one, the shoulder you cry on, the coach, yeah. the, one, the nurturer basically is what I was, then you wouldn't hurt me or abandon me or betray me, which of course was a crock of shit because that, none of, of course. That. That's not how that works. Yeah. (laughs) I would say over the past five to 10 years, as I've really done my own extreme healing and transformation, you know, I always say that we attract people, not just love, but people into our lives who are a frequency match for us, who are an energetic and emotional match for us. And so I mentioned this thinking about these kind of five categories that someone listening is like, well, how the hell do I make that happen. I got one neighbor down the street who sucks. You know, I don't have any. (laughs) They suck. Yeah. Yeah. You tell me what you think, but I feel like part of it is not certainly putting yourself out there and seeking organizations and groups and things that interest you and take a chance and introducing yourself and, and asking people to connect with you or go to lunch or coffee. But so much of it is inside you, right? That part. It really is. I mean, it's funny because I I do believe while I, you know, it's great to have community, I'd say the majority of it is right here. You know, you're your biggest advocate. You're your biggest cheerleader. You know, like I said, safe space, you know, so and and I do believe, you know, it is about to, you know, being open where, you know, the people who are for you will find you. You know, I do believe that, you know, and I, you know, I believe in quality over quantity. So if you, you may not have the accountant, but you got the nurturer, (laughs) you know, so even think about like, think about that list. Where are the holes in my life? Like I have plenty of punchers, but no accountants or I got plenty of of hole punchers, but not plenty of hole punchers. (laughs) Yeah. But no nurturers. Right. Yeah. Really kind of, I I feel like I've noticed just as without even doing anything Mm -hmm. in particular, two things started happening. And I found myself with this amazing tribe of the most glorious human beings and learned from and inspired by, I don't need to rescue and don't need to rescue me. Yeah. That didn't happen until I got to that point. Well, isn't that funny how that is? I think when we're open to it. Yeah. That's when it finds us. You know, I, I write that, you know, truth finds us when we're open to her. I think same thing with relationships when we're open to them and we have them within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of pop up. I mean, what I always say about love relationships is that no, and it's the same thing with friendships. Nobody ever completes you. Nobody. You got to be your own delicious, glorious, fully fabulous, scrumptious cake. And the other yeah. people or person are icing sprinkles. Oh my God. Yes. That's exactly. They're the icing. You're yeah. the cake. Yeah. And the ice, the cake is still delicious with or without the icing. Cake is amazing. Yeah. I prefer it sometimes without icing. <laughs> exactly. And you are one of these people. I mean, we haven't because not long after we had our last conversation, which was right in the beginning of the pandemic, I think. Yes. It was, then Sammy died and I mm. went off 
line from the world. Yeah. But I never got a chance to tell you this that and and it's relevant because we were just talking about making friends that I have this weird thing that has evolved over the past couple of years, three, four mm-hmm. years, maybe. This was maybe a year before Sammy died. It was starting and it happened with you. Sometimes people light up is the only way that you describe it. <laughs> and so if I'm and this has happened, like I could be in a supermarket mm-hmm. and someone at the checkout line will light up or Mm. in a store and someone looking at a clothing rack or maybe working in the store will light up or someone who I just met, like I met you that day and was having this conversation Mm -hmm. uh, lights up. And if they don't light up, that's fine. I still love them, enjoy them, wish, you know, we'll collaborate with them, all those kinds of things. But when they light up, I have learned that that is like spirit's way of telling me they're supposed to be in your life and you're supposed to be friends. 100%. And and normally since I stopped, since Sammy died, I have started through my own healing and lack of fear and lack of care how cuckoo I look. I now say it out loud when somebody lights up. I'm like, by the way, we're going to be friends. We're supposed to be friends. You just lit up. So I'm telling you late that you lit up and we're supposed to be friends. Oh, well, we're we're already friends. <laughs> I know, we're but we're, we are already friends, but yeah. like, you know what I mean? We're not really oh. in each other's lives, but we're supposed to be, so. Yes, we are. I believe that. I really believe that. So that makes me feel so happy. Yeah. It really so does. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> of course. Brave, open, resting, updated oh <sighs> relationships and healing. And that's what this book is about, guys. It's called On Thriving, Harnessing Joy Through Life's Great Labors, a really beautiful read that takes you on a journey of healing. And, and she shares so much practical that as a therapist and someone who works with people in this population, you're right on the nose, girl. I love it. I love the mm. whole thing. So, and not everybody is right on the nose. You know, they're just like, <laughs> Take it away. Whatever it is. Like love you it away. Mark. It's fine. <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. People like me. I'm all better. Yeah. No, you really get into it in a beautiful, attainable way. So I'm gonna put we'll put the book and all of your details to follow you on social and go to your website in the show notes mm. of this show. But I just want to thank you so much for your heart being so vulnerable, willing to share your journey and service to others, helping them heal and being a literal and a, an emotional and spiritual doula for all of us. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Know that I feel the same about you. I really, really do. And I'm so honored to like chat with you today. Thank you. you for